Welcome back, dear listener. Just before we start today's reading, I'd just like to explain that I've uh, recently had some dental surgery and I'm now the recipient, once again, of a full toothy smile with my new upper dental plate, a denture plate. So if I trip over my words, as I'm, <laughs> I'm sure I will, that is my excuse. Um, today's chapter is called The Tour. Um, this was written, obviously, five years ago, so the tour has subtly changed over the period, but uh, basically it gives you a pretty good taste of what our tour is like. The tour. Over the years, we have enjoyed playing host to literally hundreds of people from all around the world since our very first one from the South Pole. Most of our guests have stayed for a one-night bed-and-breakfast visit, though many have enjoyed longer farm stays, and we have accommodated the occasional contractor working locally for longer stays over the winter months. The big difference with a stay at Warwick's farm is that you not only enjoy a comfortable bed and lovely surroundings, followed by a sumptuous breakfast, but you are also offered the farm tour. We've been delighted to discover that the tour has become somewhat legendary among some of our guests who have insisted their friends come and stay and enjoy the tour. Others have waxed lyrical about it in our guest book and online blogs. The shortest tour I have led took 45 minutes, with the longest taking four and a half hours. They vary depending on the amount of interest shown and the time restraints due to one would travel by our guests. The average tour lasts around two hours. In fact, the tours and their popularity, with the very many passionate stories about animals and life on the farm, became the inspiration for this book, allowing us to share our wonderful experiences with you, dear reader, or your case listener, and a much wider audience. So let's go on a quick tour. The Warwick's Farm tour generally commences after breakfast after I've collected any leftover slices of a thick, crunchy, country-style toast and liberated a large leafy pile of weeping willow leaves. First stop is in front of the barn, where we meet Nova, the once orphan lamb who leads the family up to the fence to catch any food on offer. The Gotland pelt sheep arrive at a trot when they notice the gathering. Occasionally, when they are on the other side of the paddock, I will wander over with some willow branches until the flock sees me and races me back to the fence line as I do an impression of a farmer being chased by a bull to the delight of our guests. Next we visit the alpacas, grazing adjacent to and behind the barn. These very curious creatures cautiously approach us and stick out their long, elegant necks to sample the proffered willow leaves. Being such exotic creatures, few guests are familiar with them, so we bring them up to speed on this charming breed of camelid. The fact that these very clean animals only do their business in certain places as outlined by the piles of chocolate drops, always raises a smile. Approaching the Cooney Cooney pig paddocks is one of my favourite moments of the tour. Quite often Robbie and Rosie will be asleep on the opposite side of the paddock. Once I have everybody watching, I call their names and immediately they both spring to their feet and come bounding over to greet us like large happy puppies. They are rewarded with the slices of toast I salvage from the breakfast tray and morph them down as I relate the interesting history of the breed and our special Cooney Cooney moments. Patience, dear reader, listener, you'll be catching up with them in a later chapter. By now we have reached Poultry Lane, and having just visited the ham, we then get to meet the hens that lay the green eggs, the Aracana chooks. They are a lavender-coloured chicken that hail from South America, and yes, the the eggs have an either faint green or slightly bluish tinge to them, but taste just like any other egg. We then review the different breeds of chicken, including the Chinese silkies, sea brights, Pekins, Rhode Island Reds, Buff Orpingtons, Old English Games, Bantam Leghorns and so on. 
Halfway down the lane, we duck into Tracy Goat's paddock to feel her soft mohair fleece and say hi to the rare breed ducks and Sebastopol geese. It is here that I explain why Tracy has got her own paddock and is tethered to a tyre that she tows around behind her. Tracy's mother, Lacey, passed on when she was only two days old, and I got the job of bottle feeding her, and so it was me she bonded with in her formative years. As she regards me as her mother, she tends to want to be close to me, and as she is a goat, and hence has no respect for fences, gates and so on, and with the gardens being liberally sprinkled with plants that are toxic to goats, we needed to put her in the most secure paddock. After several arduous occasions of having to find Tracy miles down the water race, and then manhandled her across barbed wire fences, we thought it wise to, t- to trail her tyre along behind her. This way she has the freedom of movement, but once over a fence she is anchored there until the cavalry arrive. The remainder of Poultry Lane is completed with guests learning about our intriguing, critically endangered royal palm turkeys, and meeting a variety of free-range poultry dancing around us, looking for a handout. Pedro the donkey and Fernando, the miniature horse, are waiting for us at the end of the lane in the Jenny Craig paddock. We quickly reassure our tourists that the paddock should not be taken as an indication that we are treating these equine buddies cruelly. In fact, the opposite is the case. Donkeys, ponies and miniature horses have what seems like uncontrolled appetites, and probably like me, will eat whatever is available to them. This is not good though, as they will eventually founder, that is, fall to the ground and Well, sometimes they don't get up again. Unlike me, who has never had any trouble getting up again after a good feed. Pedro came to us due to a marriage breakup, and with neither partner able to take him along on their new lives, their loss was certainly our gain. He is a pure white English donkey with a lovely nature, and we use him to educate people about differences between donkeys and horses and ponies, and that while they might have long faces, they are generally happy creatures and make great friends. Donkeys have a reputation for being stubborn, and usually not too bright, and we quickly debunked this myth by relating a couple of incidents, including one about the time I tested Pedro's suitability to have chick children on his back. Elaine is a firm believer that the, in the maxim that prevention is better than cure, and when I first suggested that it would be nice for children to have donkey rides, she was naturally nervous about the concept. The last thing we need is for some poor kid to fall off him and hurt himself, she lamented. He should be fine, I insisted. You shouldn't worry. He's such a nice-natured thing, I continued. I can just see the headline. Warwick's farm, sued by parents of child, seriously hurt by fall from nice-natured donkey, she said. Such a nice idea, though, and offered us the chance to earn perhaps a few extra dollars. It was decided that if I could prove he could handle having children on his back without testing the theory with live children, the idea could go ahead. I determined that if Pedro could take my weight on his broad back without any trouble, then a child on his back would be a breeze. I grabbed a horse blanket and made makeshift reins out of binder twine and braced myself for my first donkey ride. As I gently eased my not insignificant frame onto his back and felt Pedro's hooves sink softly deeper into the paddock, Pedro was left with something of a dilemma. If he bucked me off, which he probably considered, then he would be deemed a stubborn animal, and if he just let me sit astride him and refused to further exert himself to carry me forward as per my command, he'll be deemed dumb. Pedro, like all donkeys, being neither stubborn nor dumb, decided on a course of action that would result in his immediate comfort without there being any unpleasant consequences to him. He proceeded to slowly but steadily carry me towards the huge macrocarpa hedge, and as he went under it, I was left with the choice of either sliding off him or being forced off. 
as the lower-lying branches of the hedge levered me off. The choice was mine, not his. He was quite content either way. Julie sliding off, I chuckled to myself at his wisdom. I wanted to confirm it wasn't just the, down to chance, and so I repeated the procedure twice more with the same result. It was in fact a win-win situation. I had proved that he could carry me safely and steadily, though I was far too heavy for him, and he had proved that he was neither stubborn nor dumb. The tour continues into the gardens along a leafy pathway, past the Chinese and Japanese quails, and sundry free-ranging chickens, and Jasper Parrot, named after a famous English comedian with very, the very similar name. Jasper is an Indian rose-neck parrot, and is still quite young, not having earned his ring yet, and still unable to speak English. I hope to train him to say as people go by, Screech, screech, move along, nothing to see, move along, nothing to see, screech, screech. Elaine often wonders about my sense of humour. The end of this pathway leads us to our main rabbitry, home to a number of cute bunnies, currently including Flemish giants, Netherland dwarfs, mini lops and a mini rex. Hugo, named because he is humongous, is the Flemish giant rabbit that first greets our tourists, and he quite happily cuddles up to anyone who wants to, or is big enough to, give this big boy a hug. His long body, covered in fawn fur, is very soft and he is treated like a teddy bear come to life. Bella, like Bonnie before her, the exquisite blue Netherland dwarf, exhibits the other end of the range, the smallest breed of rabbit. She sits happily in the palm of my hand, her tiny ears barely twitching, as entranced visitors stroke, prod and poker. Her face looks just like a grey squirrel. Cadbury, the mini-rex, is very old and a bit grumpy as I keep a firm hold of her, as our tourists marvel at her fur that resembles crushed velvet so much so that it changes to a deeper tone of chocolate when the fur is struck the wrong way. I always get a laugh when they discover this chocolate-coloured bunny is called Capri. The mini-lops are always very popular with their compact, plump bodies and floppy-down ears, and like Bella, most of them sit happily in the palm of my hand to entertain their new friends. They are the breed we sell most for pets, due to their quick cuteness, size and gentle natures. One of our favourite times is when the baby rabbits are born. The first week when they are bald and blind and helpless. The second week they have fur. And the second, third and fourth week they double their size each week. I start handling them from week two as firstly I cannot resist. And secondly, being handled so early makes them so much tamer and calmer and much quicker to train. Unfortunately, since the earthquakes, we are not experiencing this joy as often as we'd like to. Teasing our tourists about shortly going to meet the world's rarest bunnies, the Enderby Island Rabbit, we continue our walk through the gardens, across an old wooden bridge, and emerge into the, onto the front lawn of the cottage. Once through the nearby p- pergola, we are surrounded by a multitude of guinea-pig hutches. Once we arrive, a chorus of weep-weep-weeping usually occurs as the observant little creatures hope I have with me one of my yummy sacks of grass. Currently, the guinea stars are Pikachu, the elderly large sable guinea with a very long 1970s-style glam rock haircut who has returned to us as his new young owner had decided not to look after him, and his mother rightly decided to return him. He sits in my hand like the wise old man on top of the mountaintop. A couple of four-month-old Peruvian guineas are the flavour of the season, probably because they resemble expensive shop-bought fluffy toys, batteries not included. You can't help but touch these little cuties, who seem to enjoy it as much as the visitors. Goldie, the fully-grown Peruvian, is another star, who when we have preschool groups, usually along with Pikachu, is to endure the humiliation of Elaine platting them 
and having bows and hair clips attached to them to the smiles and delight of the little people. Oh, come on, Chris, he lances to me. The kids love it, and so do the guineas, the old stick in the mud. Uh, he lay, and I say, these are guys you're doing this to, you know. I continue as the guineas and I look at each other in exasperation. God, he is always fun to get out of his hutch, as when I, as when I open one end, dives into the plastic pipe tunnel on the opposite end, and hides, and always seems so surprised when I reach in for the tunnel and pluck him out of it like a magician, to the delight of our visitors. Other guineas we introduce include merinos that have a thick, coarse coat, which in winter often has a crimp, similar to that found in sheep. We also have Abyssinians, with the lovely rosettes set into their fur, and rexes, the short-haired guineas. The opportunity to stroke the firmly held Enderby-Iron rabbits and hear their story of evolution and possible extinction is also greeted with enthusiasm and interest before we say hi to nearby Sassy or Sybil, depending on who is on duty, two Chinese silky chickens who are both real characters. Both chickens happily pose for photographs with our visitors, either sitting on my or a brave tourist's shoulder or head to the applause and clicking of cameras. Both chickens have from time to time enjoyed much of the tour perched on my shoulder, and whenever I need to put them down so I can showcase another creature, they will stay where they are put for as long as it, as it takes, to the surprise of the visitors. Occasionally, however, the tour has continued with them forgetfully being left behind, and a couple of times I've gone back guiltily to find them still patiently waiting a long time after the tour is concluded. Sassy and Sybil are a unique part of the team, and also help sometimes with meetings and greetings. It is also relaxing when not working just to stroll around the farm with one of them perched atop a shoulder, like a one-eyed pirate's parrot. Sassy also has other important duties that you'll discover a little later. The tour concludes as we brush past the herb garden, briefly stopping to sniff the wonderful pineapple mint with a look through the interesting items on display in the red barn. The Gotland fleece that are ripped off a relieved Hermione's back is a feature, the famous sheepskin without a skin. Visitors, after seeing all the animals, can now relate really well to the raw fibres and wools and the carded fibres and yarns and the variety of natural colours, and then hopefully decide to purchase some of the lovely creations fashioned out of them by Elaine. The culmination of the tour is the viewing of Elaine's two very special quilts that need to be viewed from a distance. We have our visitors line up in the race and then show them the quilts made up of many small squares and a range of colours with no discernible rhyme nor reason to the design. As we march backwards, the quilts slowly come to life. The further back we go, the more distinct they become. We know when we have moved far enough back, as that is when the chairs go up and the frowns disappear, and they can see the alpaca in the paddock in one, and the close-up of a cat's face in the other. The small squares of fabric represent pixels, as in a digital image, and the photos of the quilts are made from, are made from come to life with digital clarity. A glance through the camera's viewfinder immediately reads the image, so we discourage photos until afterwards. If you'd like to know how to how these amazing quilts are made, then all you have to do is come on a tour and we will tell you, says Elaine. That concludes the chapter on the tour. Uh, just a little reminder, the tours, the tours still continue today, and uh, anyone in Canterbury who wants a tour, just give us a quick contact through our email or contact us through www.warwicksfarm.com and I'm sure we will be delighted to give you one of our current tours. Until next time, thank you for listening.